This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. The podcast is a little over three years old. It's still being discovered in a lot of places, but I'm I'm very happy to be able to share that the podcast is embraced. It is heard all over the world. This is not a podcast that's just focused on in certain locations, but it is a global entity. It is embraced. It is welcomed globally. So thank you, all of you out there that do take the time to listen and take the time to provide feedback on how the podcast is impacting you. Uh, And it is much needed in this day and time because of the types of things that we talk about, because the types of things we share on this podcast are not popular. They are not embraced by the masses. I know I just say a lot of people embrace the podcast. They do. And I, I hear from the people who do, and it is broad. It is global. But a lot of people don't like hearing about the things that we're talking about because they just rather talk. They'd rather hear me talk about how the work is done. They'd rather hear me talk about popular topics only instead of saying what is needed. And But that's one of the reasons why we're talking about what we're talking about in this particular series. We are taking time to talk about the sinister culture at work in today's UX circles. It is very challenging to operate in UX today. It is... It takes skill to navigate. You can't just be excited about UX and go out and be successful because there are things that will create problems. <laughs> they will be hurdles that you will have to, to overcome in order to be successful in UX. So it takes more than knowledge about the about how to do the work. It takes knowledge about other things. And so I do not limit myself to talking about the work. There are times and places to do that. Of course, but there's also no shortage in people talking about how to do the work. There is a shortage of people talking about the things that I'm talking about on this show. So we take the time to do it. And and this particular topic, the sinister culture of today's UX circles, is something that is not popular. It's people don't want to hear about. It. And the funny thing about it, what's really ironic is that people don't want me to talk about what I'm talking about on this show but they don't mind people spreading and and helping to embed in people's psyche the the combo acronym of UIUX. They're not upset about that. They're not upset about people who spread misinformation. They're not upset about people who merchandise folks and who basically are predatory toward people in UX today. They're not upset about that. The same people upset about me and what I talk about, they're not upset about that. Uh, You'll have people who will say that, that I am basically pontificating, which is weird because that's gaslighting because they either don't know what pontificating is or they don't understand that the things that I'm saying are actually true and they're active and they are relevant. If if you're about to run out of gas and somebody says you're about to run out of gas, is that pontificating? Is it pontificating to tell someone that they have a nail in their tire and to try to warn them about the dangers If they drive with that nail in their tire and how they could potentially have a blowout, they could lose their life. They could they could have life altering injuries or all types of things that could take place. So, hey, there's a nail in your tire. Might want to get that out of there. This is actually an act of love. 
It's an act of care to talk about the types of things I'm talking about. It's an act of respect. It is the opposite when people try to address what I'm doing and try to demonize it. Uh, there's there's circles where people are frustrated because they're flat out. I hate saying this because it sounds like a, a fifth grader, but it's just true. There are people who have some jealousy problems. There are people who have inferiority complex issues, and they speak out about the podcast because they rather that the people listen to whatever they're doing. And, and it's just a shame to have to say th- something like this, to have to bring it to light. But these things are actually happening. It does not deter me. It doesn't discourage me. I'm not altering my course at all. I know that these things are critical. I'm so happy, and I, I talk about it often, how that one time I had a boss that when I ran into the things that nobody wanted to talk about, and it took me for a loop, and, and I was ready to walk away from the discipline in 2008 or so. I was ready to just, I'm done. It doesn't make sense. This is crazy. And I had a boss who talked to me and he told me he used two critical words. He talked about healthy friction. And when he talked to me about healthy friction, something that nobody wants to talk about, it changed my life. I would not be on this podcast with you today had we not had that conversation. It helped me to put things in in perspective and it helped me to have a more realistic view of what was going on in UX. And and I recognized after that, that I needed to manage myself. I needed to be more emotionally intelligent. And so when those things happen, again, the rest is history and here we are. So I'm happy for that. I'm happy that somebody took the time to tell me what I needed instead of trying to cater to my feelings or coddling me, which is something else that people do today. And, And it's funny, there's people who don't like what I'm talking about. They're quick to go out and coddle people. Coddling always does damage to the person who becomes coddled because there's always truth and and truth is merciless. I mean, we need truth, but truth is a merciless thing in that when you come face to face with it, you're going to have to deal with whatever it serves up. You don't have the, the option of turning your back on critical truth when it's right in your face. It is going to present itself and it is going to demand something of you. Is going to demand something of me. And if we're not emotionally intelligent, when we come face to face with truth, there are going to be some severe consequences. I'm trying to help people, especially a lot of the newer people who come into UX and, and they're they're all bright eyed, bushy tailed, and, and and they're they're they got the Pollyanna thing going and toxic positivity rules and they don't realize it. We need to share things that help people to get the work done, but we also need to help people understand things that help them to navigate the space. And and, and people that I know who they back off because they don't like to hear some of these things, and then they come back around a little bit later on because they run into truth. They come face-to-face with truth, they find out they weren't ready, and then they start to remember some things I was talking about, and they recognize, wow, that was relevant, what he was talking about. Yeah, I knew that when I was telling you. So we're thankful for people who do listen to the podcast and take the time to engage from a critical thinking perspective. And you recognize that the things we're saying, they are for your benefit. They are relevant. They are important. They are helpful. We are not here to make you feel warm and fuzzy. We are here to help you be successful. Some people like to call it hard love. Call it that if you want. But we're just looking out for the well-being of everyone 
And we're also looking out for the well-being of the discipline and coddling and tickling ears and and trying to put it on putting on faces, being dissimulatory. These types of things, they, they don't help. So we got to be real and we got to give you what you need today so that you can be successful. That's what we're dedicated to doing today. Let's dive in. We're only going to cover a handful of of items today as we cover another list, targeted list of four with some sub items under one to help to bring some color so you can understand the context of what it is I'm referring to. But let's dive in real quick. And and I say four, there's going to be some other things co-mingled in here, but for the purpose of the list, there are four things. We're going to start off not by touching on the list, but something that I saw that feeds into the list. And I think it's really, really critical. And there was a post, a, a tweet that I saw in my archives that was, it was served up on May 17th of 2018 by the renowned Alan Cooper. If you ever read or, or ha- have or have not read The Inmates Are Rolling the Asylum or the About Facebooks, um, this guy is phenomenal. He helped shape me into who I am today, unbeknownst to him. Uh, although I did tell him that once when we were on, we, we were both, uh, we both had the microphone together, so to speak once. And I shared with him how he impacted me, but Alan Cooper made the statement and he said, I don't loathe my field or my work. I loathe usurpers. And he was responding to somebody else, by the way, I loathe usurpers and lightweights who boldlerize my field. This is an awesome statement. The reason I share it is because it helps to illustrate what I'm talking about in this series about the sinister culture at work in UX today, because this is what is happening. I call them posers, retrofits, and upstarts. He refers to them as usurpers and lightweights. We're talking about the same people in a sense, (laughs) because the usurpers, usurping is when someone takes authority that they don't have and they, or they begin to assert themselves in a way that they're not really qualified to do that. That's what a usurper would be. I'm not saying I'm, that he said that anywhere. I'm telling you what the word usurped means. So when he says that a person is a usurper and that he loathes them, he hates the behavior that these people are, are demonstrating out there, and this is common today. So here's one of the ones that's not on the list, but it does feed into the list. So usurping, not good, common in UX today. He mentions lightweights. Again, I mentioned posers, retrofits, and upstarts. One of the terms he uses is lightweight. There are people who have, let's say, zero to three years of experience in UX and experience, quote unquote, experience, because that's even questionable, because some of the people who appear to have up to three years experience, when you really look at their work, and in some cases where they've worked, that three years of experience by the clock or by the calendar, when you look at it from a functional and from a practical perspective, you won't see the equivalent of three years. But that's something to be covered at another time. But here's the issue with lightweights, is that they tend to, and, and that light, lightweight, really, the way I'm reading his statement, it builds on the concept of the usurper because 
The lightweights are the people who have little to no experience in UX, but they present themselves as if they have eight, nine, 10, 15 years of experience. And I come across people like this on a regular basis and they try to make statements that sound authoritative. They're very loud. They sound very convinced of themselves. They like to make statements. Many of them love to speak on the behalf of the discipline. They love to speak on the behalf of other people. And they really don't have any experience. If you talk to some of them in private, you find out that they they're, they believe very strongly in the fake it till you make it mindset. So many of these lightweights, they're faking it until they make it, which makes you, the partaker, a guinea pig because they are faking it till they make it at your expense. That is extremely disrespectful and is downright hateful. People shouldn't be doing that. You should be operating in a way that's reflective of your skill level, operating in a way that's reflective of of your actual authority so that you can accurately represent who you are to whoever it is that you're engaging with. And then here's the thing. You have the usurpers, you have the lightweights, thin line between the two, definitely a Venn diagram because there's some overlap between the two, the two personas. But here's what they're doing. They're bowlerizing the field. And this is the other thing that these people are doing. Now, if you're not familiar with the word bowlerize, it has to do with people who are really, again, they're asserting themselves in ways that they shouldn't. They censor things. They try to stop certain things from being done. They, they These are the people who complain about gatekeepers when really it, that really proves that they don't know what a gatekeeper is. They don't know what the benefit of gatekeeping is. And most critically for this moment, they're behaving in a gatekeeping fashion and doing it without any skill, without any knowledge, without anything to truly support what it is that they're that they're that they're doing. So like why are you trying to bowlerize? Why are you trying to censor? Why are you trying to stop what somebody is doing? Why are you trying to limit someone's authority who actually has light years beyond you when it comes to experience, when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to acumen? This makes no sense. But the crazy thing is these people are loud these people are boisterous. These people apparently have a lot of time on their hands because they're always somewhere talking or producing videos or something to talk about garbage. The, these people that you see positioning themselves as mentors and they literally haven't even had a UX job yet, but they're willing to advertise themselves as mentors. When you see people who are putting themselves out there and claiming to help you and give you information that will help you in your career as a UX professional. And then oh, we're going to give you some tips to help you get hired. And then when you look, they really haven't worked anywhere, really don't know anything, really don't have any experience. And then trying to stop people like me and others like me from talking about the things we're talking about when we're talking from a perspective of experience, a perspective of authority, a perspective of, 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 of proof where we have information to confirm that the things we're talking about, these are not just opinions. And by the way, there is such a thing as an expert opinion. We talk about that from time to time. And when somebody is speaking from that perspective, you're not going to get anywhere by ignoring what educated and experienced people have to say. And here, and the, the insane thing about it 
is that people don't want to hear what educated and informed and proven people have to say, but they'll listen to somebody who's faking it till they make it. And again, when you talk to these same people uh, uh, in, in a private situation, you find out that they feel like they're imposters and they don't feel like they're imposters. They are imposters. And a lot of people who claim to have imposter syndrome are actually imposters and they feel like imposters because that's what they are. So people are not going to succeed until truth, again, truth, it was, just a, it was a beautiful thing and we need it, but it's also merciless. If you don't have thick skin, you can't handle the truth. As Jack Nicholson might say, you can't handle the truth and that's bad. That's bad for you and anybody else that's dependent on you for growth. I see people presenting themselves as, as mentors who even they, 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 they say, hey, I, I just celebrated doing 30 hours of mentoring with ADP lists and, I'm, and something didn't sound right. I saw this recently and I went and looked at the person's profile and the person only has three years of experience. If that, how did that person qualify to be? Don't you have to have more experience than that to qualify as a mentor with ADP? And a lot of the people who position themselves as mentors don't do it for the well-being of the people that they're supposedly providing a service to, they do it because they want to look like a superstar. So if you're not familiar with spotting that, you're going to walk right into that web and these people are going to eat you for lunch. And they're out there boasting and bragging about how much mentoring they've done. When truth be told, I've heard about some of these instances where a person will get into a mentoring session and all they really want to do is review your portfolio. They don't know how to do anything but that. And when somebody asks them for, for actual guidance with regard to the career, then the person's got deer in the headlights. You know why? Because you're talking to somebody who's not really a mentor. If you really want real mentoring, you do not need some formal setup. I said it before. I say it again. The best mentoring is basically is something that happens organically. Something where nobody was looking to develop anything and you just met somebody and 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 you're benefiting them and and everybody is really getting something out of this where uh, and, and and I got to make sure that I qualify that statement as well. If I mentor you, I don't need anything from you. And, and it's funny how people will say, yeah, when you're mentoring, both of us will learn. That's only said by people who are on that low end of the list and claiming themselves to be mentors when they really shouldn't be. I'm not, I don't need anything from you. I, I've been doing this now for, this is my 28th year of doing this work. I am not looking for anything from you. I am not needy. <laughs> and, and so I don't need it. If you have some idea or something, you might have a good thought. That's great. But then you, you, the blind squirrel scenario, cause I don't need that from you. And I've never been idle. I've always been in the business of making myself better. And so I'm not looking. Matter of fact, when I get invitations on LinkedIn, and, and it's funny, these people who they, they drink the Kool-Aid, which we're also going to talk about, people drink the Kool-Aid and they opt into, I'm going to use uh, uh, AI to generate my uh, a message to you when I reach out. Because I've heard that people, just they don't just want to get an invitation to connect, they want a message. So then you're going to insult someone by, yes, insult someone by generating a message through AI, don't you know that 10 other people did the same thing? And when you get the same exact a message with an invitation to connect, the same exact message, 
That don't you know that we understand what that is? And and I saw them from the beginning. AI generated invitations to connect are so terrible. And and they're they're insulting, they're demeaning, they're condescending, they're redundant, they're stupid, they're generic. And and so it makes you look bad. If you want to connect with somebody, just be yourself. <laughs> Here's a, just a little tip today. Just be yourself. Invite a person to connect. If you want to talk about why you want to connect, do that. And then please speak from the heart. And don't worry about looking stupid. Don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry about uh, uh, any of those types of things. But please be yourself. I do not want an AI-generated message. I When I recognize it, not only will I not accept it, I might block the individual. Because in my, in my world, that's insulting. So I don't want that. And you're wasting my time. Yeah, we, let's connect. And then we can both see how we can benefit one another. Well, see, well, I'm, I'm not needy, so my hand isn't out. If, maybe that helps to clarify what I said earlier. My hand isn't out. I don't need anything <laughs> from him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm set. I don't need any of those things. So it's just interesting how people do that. But, but this is all part of that, the issue of, of what I'm about to transition into. Uh, but, uh, but again, based on what Mr. Cooper said, don't be a usurper. Keep growing so you, you're not a lightweight. And don't take that because some people, someone responded when I shared this again, because I saw it again. I'm like, I got to share this. This is just gold. I got to share this. And someone clicked reply. And I'm not sure what they meant because it was sort of cryptic. And they just said lightweights and they put some emojis. And, and the emojis are so small that you have no idea, in some cases, what expression is on the face of the emoji. So I didn't know what the person was communicating, and I just decided to just keep going and not worry about it. So if you did that and you're listening to the podcast, please reach out. You know that this is you. Please reach out and let me know because I have no idea what the person was saying, what the person was trying to communicate. But people get offended you ever talk to a kid and you refer to them as a kid and they get offended and they say, I'm not a kid. Or they say, yeah, the baby wants so-and-so and so. I'm not a baby. I think we've all seen that before. The truth of the matter is, yeah, you are. And so if, and so if you're a lightweight, you're just a lightweight. We've all been lightweights before. The sad thing is when you see somebody who's been doing UX for 10 years and they're still lightweights and I have met people like that. That's when it's a problem. But if if you are what you are and somebody's saying it, if it accurately describes you, you can't be insulted by that, nor can you take it personally. It is an accurate depiction of who you are. So I love that Mr. Cooper said this. He put it out there. Folks are lightweights. Yeah. If you're a lightweight, you're a lightweight. You know, you see these people who are, they've been doing UX for three years and they're seniors. They're lightweight. You're lightweight. You can't be a senior until you've been doing this work for at least eight to 10 years, at least eight to 10 years, more likely 10. You can't be, you cannot be a lead. You can't be principal until you've been doing this work for at least 10 to 12 years. So if somebody gives you that title before you deserve it, shame on them. I know people who have titles like that and they say, I really don't feel like a senior, but that's the title that they gave me. Yeah, I, I've seen people. I've seen people talk about that. Uh, you know, that's just the way it is. And uh, but no one understand. You may sometimes 
deal with a little backlash because of that. And it, but it's, it could set you up for failure because when you try to advance, when you try to go to another company and you talk to them and you present it yourself as a senior, because that's what you were called at the other job. And depending upon the maturity level at the company, they're going to see that you're not a senior and it could create some stumbling blocks for you moving to another company or going into another role. So um, I, I said this on social media earlier today, you're your a person's job title does not necessarily represent who they are, it, whether it's you or somebody else. So it's critical that we embrace those truths today. Uh, but that's it. So I guess consider that a bonus. Let's get on to the list. And it's funny because the first one is in the same, the same uh, <laughs> of the same ilk, so to speak. Uh, Kool-Aid rules today. Number 11 on the list. Kool-Aid rules. People insist on drinking Kool-Aid. And we sort of been talking about this the entire time. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of get on and get off of this one because we've already been addressing it. But you have examples. People have short-sighted perspectives about UX and they embrace it as gospel. There was a post where somebody said, here's the difference between UX, UI, and product design. And then the person spit out these little quick they, they don't even qualify as factoids because some of them weren't even true. And, and you can't really address the concept or the difference between UX and product design without really getting into some weeds about the stuff because the it, it depends on the company where you're at. I had the title product designer at a company. I was a principal product designer, and I was doing UX work, but my title was product designer. So if somebody said that I was doing product design, I, I was doing UX work. You can see someone else and they have a product design role and they're doing product design. Product designers, in a nutshell, product designers are order takers. UX people are not. So there's product designers are going to do exactly what they're told. I worked for a company once where a product owner, I, I told them that I needed the requirements to, to help to understand where we were going and to help drive the UX strategy behind the work. Uh, the person, I don't know why they did it. The person went, took information instead of giving me the requirements so that I could go through, digest them, and come up with the strategy. They decided to do it themselves. They did a pretty good job of it. I, I will give them that. But you can't reduce a real UX or to an order taker. So the person would turn around, tell me what they got from the requirements that they chose to digest and not give it to me. And so they just wanted to digest it and give it to me, have me do it. And so basically they were reducing me to being an order taker. Well, a seasoned UX person knows that we're not order takers. What you what you did and what you've derived from the requirements might indeed be accurate, but I still need to digest that for myself. So now you did it, but you should have given it to me. We could have done it at the same time, something. Because now that's adding time on because I'm not going to just do what you said. What if you're wrong? And that's not the, the only reasons for it. It's because that's not what we do in UX. But the person wanted me to just take what they came up with at face value to just go ahead and just follow their instructions. And we were supposed to just move like lightning because they already did my part of the work. You're never going to do that for a real UX person and not have some type of consternation 
and some type of backlash. You're only going to do that and get away with that with inexperienced people who, in that scenario, will be seen as the best thing since sliced bread because they just followed what you did, put something together, but that that's unethical. You're asking somebody to proceed in an unethical manner, and so I had to stick to my guns, and that's what I did, and God knows what the perspectives were because you know people are not always willing to be transparent and tell you how they feel about things and how they perceive things. So you never really find, I never found out how things really went down in that particular scenario, but I know what, how they should go. I know how things should be done. And I'm not moving off of that because I'm going to do real UX work. I'm not one of these people who's, who's going to even allow a product owner to usurp authority over me, which is what happens when people try to turn you into an order taker. But, but at any rate, it's just really sad to see these perspectives because a lot of people have this thing, like the person with the post, get back to the post, the person put the post out there, and these were all short-sighted perspectives trying to spell out the difference between UX and product design and UI, short-sighted perspectives, and some people were saying, this is great, thank you for the insights. There weren't any insights. It was erroneous. And people just, this is part of the problem with the sinister culture in UX today, because people just, they see what amounts to Kool-Aid. And every time we see, for those of you who don't know, when you hear us say Kool-Aid, we're making reference to how people in cults, in many instances, are known for drinking poisoned Kool-Aid and then dying as a result of it. And so it's a metaphor of the willingness to just partake of something and you don't realize that it's for your harm. In some cases, some people know it's for their harm. They don't care. They just don't care. They got a UX job. They're getting paid. They don't care. I even talked to a person recently who said that he was not going to stop saying UX, UI, because at least he's getting paid and yada, yada, yada. And I told him two critical things. I said, number one, you have the power to change your job title, just in case you didn't know that. And number two is you're willing to take on that acronym and not try to help drive maturity for the people that are bestowing that combo acronym upon you and communicate with you using that acronym. If you're not willing to educate them, but you're going to do, do and say nothing for the sake of a paycheck, then you basically, you're, you're a sellout. You're a sellout. It is our responsibility to drive UX maturity. It's our responsibility to educate our stakeholders and our clients. We're not telling you to get in people's face and be, and be ornery. We're not telling you to be rude. We're not telling you to be unprofessional, but we do have a responsibility. Remember, we're still the babies. In the room, our discipline is still forming. And with all these people out here drinking Kool-Aid, it's making it that much more difficult for us to grow in the discipline because a bunch of us are just like that person I talked to. They're sellouts that will do anything that anybody says as long as it means you can get a check and as long as you can call yourself a UX person. There's way too many people like that in UX today. And again, that is another reason why there's a lot of sinister stuff going on. And UX today, folks are too quick to embrace any new concept. The uh, people are quick to accept neophytes as experts. Why are you so quick, you being whoever, so quick to embrace what somebody said there that we we often talk about in the circles where I, I tend to congregate with other people. You, you hear about this and we talk about this video that a person put out. Where they tell you, you can get a UX leadership job with no experience. And it looks like a little mini Hollywood production. It's really well put together, but it's all garbage. You can't, if you get a job 
a UX leadership job with no experience, what's that job and what's that team and what's the UX work of that company really going to look like? That's not, and it's sad because they inspire other people with no experience to go out and try to do the same thing. When ironically, people like me who've been doing the work for 28 years either can't get an interview for a UX leadership role or get the job and won't be able to keep it, or you get the job and they don't want you to, ha- they, they literally want you to have to do your work and will tell you that. Literally, verbally, you hear somebody, you don't need to do that. Just do something to get by. They will actually tell you that. This is some crazy stuff. So you got these people with no experience and they are getting these, these UX leadership jobs. They actually are. And then the people who are qualified don't get them. They can't even get an interview. That's another sign of the sinister nature of, of UX today. It's pretty crazy. And, and then we people know these folks are neophytes and then embrace them anyway because of what their title says or because of what they said. And I, I've seen people say things that they know are not true and have admitted to me behind closed doors that what they said is not true, but they never go back and admit the error that they presented to people because they're too busy trying to save face and they're busy trying to build a followership, especially if their organization is profit-based. I'm talking about these some of these so-called UX educational places, and we'll talk about those at another time. They're on the list. We won't address that today, but just really, really crazy today. And another thing about the, the issue with Kool-Aid, uh, and so we're actually going to wrap it up here. So we're just dealing with these sub-items with Kool-Aid today is that people are overly passionate about AI. People are so passionate about artificial intelligence. I even had a person tell me recently, they said that, yeah, you know, AI can't replace. I was I had a post where I was talking about people who were trying to advocate for doing UX research with AI instead of actually talking to users. That's a ridiculous proposition. That is that is professionally suicidal. It's ridiculous to say, I'm not going to talk to users at all. We're just going to use AI and we're going to be satisfied with that. Why would you want to talk to artificial users? Are you interested in artificial profits? Because that's what you're you're after. And I got news for you, invisible money or monopoly money, that doesn't work. So that's not a good proposition. But people will, they'll, they'll gravitate toward AI because of how much hype AI has had. But at any rate, what the person says, I got I got to share with this with you. It's, I found it amazing. The person said, yeah, you, you, you we got to basically, we got to talk to real users, you know, you know, and then sometimes we'll just lean upon AI because of the, the accurate information we get from it. And I'm going, what information are you talking about? What research have you done? It does not take much research to find out that AI, people who are tapping into it, a lot of the information that's coming from AI today is either plagiaristic or it simply is inaccurate. And the the examples of this are innumerable right now. I, I said recently in talking to somebody that AI is, it simply is not ready for prime time. If you depend upon it, you're going to shoot yourselves in the foot. This is going to create a problem, you know, another metaphor, but some of the, so some of the, the, the cancel culture crowd, hey, why are you talking you know what I mean, so don't even go there. <laughs> those are your toxic people. You really want to know. Those are your toxic people. The people who are anal retentive. Those are your toxic people. You know what I mean when I when I say that. So 
AI, let, let's not, I tell them, let's not get on the AI bandwagon. And I told someone in another instance, AI has not proven to be ethically sound. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not interested in AI unless what it's doing is ethically sound, whatever aspect you're using it for is ethical. And uh, until they can start generate some some accurate findings, because the some of the things I've seen are just absolutely ridiculous with regard to AI. But a bunch of people, they're they're on the bandwagon. So now you got bandwagon bias that you're dealing with. We have anchoring bias that we're dealing with because a handful of people say that AI is great. So some people believe the first thing they hear and they never do subject it to any type of analysis or proving whatsoever. They just buy into it. And that is all. That's the whole Kool-Aid mindset today. It's not good, folks. We stop jumping. Someone said in another post recently, they said, yeah, everybody's talking about AI. And I had to chime in. I said, for the record, everybody is not drinking the AI Kool-Aid. So stop speaking for everybody. We're not all drinking the same Kool-Aid, we're not all eating the same meals, we're not all listening to the same music, we're not all doing the same things. Everybody's not on the same boat. Everybody doesn't see IA as fantastic. It will be a few years. Even when you see people, hey, we're going to have so-and-so talk to us today, they're an expert in AI. Didn't AI just become popular at this level? Because AI's been around for years, first and foremost. It's been around for years. So if somebody is claiming to be an expert in AI and they've only been doing work with AI for three months, you're not an expert. You have some some opinions about AI, okay? And that's it. Don't talk about yourself being an expert when you just said AI for the first time in, in May. <laughs> when you just found out that AI even existed in May. These are the types of things. When people just jumping on these bandwagons because everybody else is. They're following the leader. They do whatever everybody else does. And, and the sad thing about the Kool-Aid mindset is that it is contrary. It is diametrically opposed to the persona that a person needs in order to operate in UX successfully. So folks, as we wrap up today, let's drop the Kool-Aid. Let's drop it. It's not doing anybody any favors. It's making the discipline look bad. It's making you look bad with your individual brand. And it is paving a way for people to come in and take advantage of the discipline at large. And we've got way too many people trying to take advantage of UX today. And they're doing it at everyone's expense. We collectively can stop that if we stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Come on, somebody. Now, so anyway. That's it. <laughs> that is all the time that we have for today. Uh, that one, it just went on and on with that. But that's fine. We're not trying to rush through this. Uh, we are going to pre be presenting some, some interviews soon to sort of break this series up. So we're not going to go consecutively. We're working on those. We expect to have those done soon. But thanks again for taking the time to listen to us today. Uh, we look forward to sharing more about the subject with you in the future. But until next time. This is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, signing off. And until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.